Drug Lies Podcast. I'm a watchman on the wall. And I'm trying to speak the truth. You may choose not to listen. But that's all on you. 5, 10, 50, 20. If you follow the money. But you won't find healing. Only death, honey Stealing and murdering Forfeit Something intended for the sick And I'm just a watchman on the wall Trying to speak the truth But it's not what you think And you're a watchman too Dr. Georgette Nichols, and today we have a very special guest, my father, Clarence Nichols, who's been a pharmacist for many, many years, and he will be talking about his experience with narcotic theft in the retail setting. Thank you guys for tuning in. Hi, this is Clarence Nichols. I'm Georgette's dad. I've been a pharmacist for more than 52 years and been involved in drug business for all this time in many different facets. I got exposed to the drugstore business when I was a young child, 10 or 11 years old, when I was very active in chemistry sets and had an alcohol lamp, which needed denatured alcohol, which I could only buy at the drugstore. And so my dad was always taking me to the drugstore every two or three months to get a gallon of denatured alcohol to burn the alcohol lamp so I could conduct all my crazy experiments. During that time, he had pointed out to me the working conditions of the pharmacy, how neat it was and cool and nice environment, how the pharmacist was respected, how they had a good life, a nice car, and a good house, and people looked up to him. And he said, this is much better than the building business, which he was in. And he kept encouraging me to go into pharmacy. Well, I decided he was right. I went into pharmacy school, and I went to uh, University of Georgia and graduated in 1970 and uh, soon afterward got my license and have been practicing pharmacy off and on for the last 52 years. I still practice pharmacy today. In pharmacy. So what states did you actually practice in? Well, I'm, I've been licensed in five states, Georgia, Florida, Michigan, Texas, and California. And I have practiced pharmacy in all five states. Wow, that's amazing. I don't know if there's a lot of pharmacists that practice in so many different states. So out of those states, about how many people do you think you managed at the top of your career? As an executive vice president of stores for Revco, we had more than 2,300 stores and 11,000 people reported to me. Wow, that's phenomenal. I'm still trying to beat you. Uh, you will, I'm sure. Okay, so tell us a little bit about... Uh, drug theft and uh, your background experience with that and uh, maybe how your employers handled it. Well, at Revco, the company I worked for for 20-plus years, you were required to take a polygraph exam before being hired. And we had a no tolerance to drug use, even marijuana, and drug theft. If you were using drugs or you were stealing drugs, 
you were terminated immediately. Wow. I don't think we actually use polygraphs at all now. Did they use that throughout all of Rapco's time, or was that in the beginning that it went away, or was that always their protocol? Uh, it was always their protocol, but there was a lot of deficiencies in that system, and drug testing is much better than a polygraph because polygraphs can be beaten. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, definitely. But it does give a good baseline to see if maybe they're lying or they're – a suspicious character. Scares some people off, I think, more than anything else. Yeah, it weeds out any deterrence. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. So from that and all the people you manage in that, um, how did your employers handle drug theft? What did they do? You can name a couple of different ones and examples. Well, you know, one of my first jobs as an intern and pharmacist in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, the barber next door to the drugstore would always come in and look for this one pharmacist to buy his medication from. And the medicine was always bagged up and he'd hand it to him. In many cases, the pharmacist paid for the medication, which I thought was strange. So this went on for several months till I got to know the pharmacist better. And I got the, I was getting my hair cut at the, the barber shop. And so we kind of developed a relationship. And it wasn't long till one day he says, I want you to come out back of the of my barbershop, I want to show you something. I go out there and he opens up the trunk of his car and shows me all these expensive shirts and all these expensive suits. And he says, you know, I can get you whatever shirt you want at the nicest department store. I can even have it tailored to your size if you want and whatever you want, whatever color, you just name it and I can get it for you. And I said, well, I, I don't know about that. He said, but you know, what I'd like to have is I'd like to have some Percodan. I need some for my pain. Well, Percodan is a Schedule II uh, narcotic opium. And I said, no, I don't think so. I, I have no interest in that. So I quickly broke the relationship from this guy and never got my hair cut there again. Never had any dealing with him, even though that other pharmacist continued to deal with him. And he was dealing with two or three other people diverting drugs stealing drugs and letting other people have it for the fringe benefits of clothing and other things. So that was my first experience. So let me ask a question about that. So as a pharmacy student, you were uh, rotating at this site before you were a full-fledged pharmacist, and you noticed that there was something suspicious. Basically, someone wasn't paying for the medication that should be, and it was already like pre-ready. And so you noticed something, and then later when you got your haircut, you realized, and the guy clued you in to the operation. And so even as a pharmacy student, you saw drug theft, correct? That's correct. Oh, wow. That's correct. Wow. Okay. Do you have any other good examples? Well, yes. I, throughout my career of 50 years in pharmacy, I've seen several instances. Another one was the example when in Detroit, Michigan, had a couple, real nice couple, both pharmacists, both making really good money, and I did, we used to do bag checks. We'd wait at closing, we'd be outside the door, and people came out and checked what was in their bags and stuff they purchased. Their personal belongings or also uh, Well, it, personal belongings we'd ask to open up and look in, but it's mostly what was in the bags they, they bought. Okay. And so we opened the bag up, and this pharmacist was still in these narcotics. He's taking them out with no receipt, no money. And so, of course, I had to terminate him. 
and his wife later resigned, not because I terminated her, but she just felt the situation was very uncomfortable. But there was another example of, uh, of drug theft, of a pharmacist stealing drugs. So in this case, the pharmacist was putting the drugs into a shopping bag of whatever store it was, and then walking out of the pharmacy with the drugs in the shopping bag. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So and how old were you when you witnessed this one? Oh, I was probably uh, 30, 32. And you'd been a pharmacist how many years? Well, I'd been a pharmacist for about eight years in upper management or mid-level management for about three. Oh, wow. And then the wife resigned because the situation was unsalvageable after her husband yeah, stole. Right, okay. and she was a wonderful person. I don't know him. I just he, he maybe he just had a problem. But we had no tolerance for drug theft, for drug users. Did it continue to have the no tolerance policy at this company? Did they always maintain that, or did throughout that my career at Revco, till it was sold to CVS? Uh, it was always the policy of the company. Wow. Totally different, it seems, than what I experienced. Yeah, true. Another situation we had when I was transferred to uh, Dallas, Texas, I was there only a week, and we come in this store, and we do this investigation of this pharmacist. He was stealing drugs and injecting between his toes so you wouldn't leave the track marks that uh, you usually put in your arm. So we terminated him on the spot. How did you find him? How did you figure it well, out? Well, the, the purchase, he constantly was buying all this drug, and, and no, we didn't see any scripts for it. So he was over-purchasing for narcotics, and you guys could see that there was no scripts to justify the purchase of the narcotics. That's right, and it was, it, it was on inventory on the shelf. So at this time, did y'all have computers? What kind of technology? Oh, yeah, we had high-tech uh, technology. It was mostly uh, a typewriter. Okay, so we're at typewriter time. We don't have digital anything. You have paper, everything. Yeah, did everything you, was paper. So did you get paper invoices? How did you, you well, would have to go through the invoices, or how did y'all uh, assume? Well, you when, when you, in, in the retail, you're required to do a biannual inventory. In most cases, people do annual inventories of all the narcotics and controlled substances. So we count them. It was a baseline every year. From that baseline, you had to keep all the invoices that you purchased stuff from. So you add the quantities from the invoices back to the baseline quantity tell how many should be there. Then you subtract out the prescriptions you fill, then you manually have to go through and dig out those prescriptions. And from that would tell you the quantity that you should have on your shelf. And if you didn't have that quantity, you had a, dis a discrepancy and a theft or loss of the medication. Wow. And so that, it was much more difficult than today, but it's retrievable. So then when y'all saw that, you confronted him, and then how did you find out he was injecting in his toes? We caught him in the bathroom that very day. <laughs> we came in on a surprise audit. He was back there shooting himself at the moment with a syringe. So you go into the bathroom, and he was on the floor in the bathroom shooting himself up between his toes with a narcotic syringe. That's right. Oh, wow. Talk about an awkward situation. Yeah, you know, uh, 
Do you have any other uh, awkward drug well, theft situations? Well, you know, I saw over the years many, many, but I guess the worst situation I saw, and, and things have changed a little bit on that, was the, when I was working in North Carolina, an old classmate of mine, in fact, we went to pharmacy school together. The, 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 our, uh, we suspected that there was some drug diversion in his pharmacy, and we went in and did an audit with the pharmacy supervisor and security and found out he was missing a substantial number of narcotics, opium-type drugs. We questioned him, and he said, well, I'm going to take my vacation immediately, walked out the door. They called me and asked what to do, and I said, we'll wait till Monday, and we'll bring another pharmacist in. We'll finish the audit and see how bad the case is and I have to report it to DEA. So we leave Friday night, Saturday afternoon, I'm told by my security department that this pharmacist who was a classmate of mine and I knew had gone out and shot himself and committed suicide. Part of his problem was not only was he using narcotics, but his son was also and instead of confronting the problems they both had and trying to work through it together, rather than face that shame, he figured it was better to end his life, and he did. And that was a, that was a horrible situation, but that's one of the many cases. Then we had to report it to DA, because you know, in retail, if you're missing any tablets, you have to report them as a loss to the DA within 72 hours. Not like I see in the hospitals today. Yeah, that's definitely been the case that we both have solved together. Um, so you said that was the worst example. Was it the worst example because the, the pharmacist committed suicide or on the scale of volume stolen or both? Or Well, it was a substantial amount of drug. I don't know if it's the worst amount we've seen stolen, but it was worse than the impact that he committed suicide and the effect it had on his family because suicide has a drastic, tremendous trauma to the family that's left behind. That, in addition to his uh, uh, killing himself, it, it, it was horrible, horrible situation. So as a management team, how did you all address that? Because here you have an employee that stole drugs and did wrong, but then on the other hand, you also, if you're just leaving that part out of it, you have an employee that just killed themselves. Um, how did y'all handle that? And other people to talk to the family and pay our respects and uh, express our sense of loss. And uh, then we went forward from that. So I wanted to touch base on one thing. Let's circle back. So when you were a student, you saw theft. Actually, I don't know if you know this, but I actually... As I was a new pharmacy student, uh, my first rotation ever was a hospital um, in the mountains by Sacramento. I can't think of the town right now, but uh, it was in the mountains by Sacramento, kind of where um, Thomas Kincaid was from. Yeah. So I went there, and I had to inventory the, the uh, automatic vault, which we call Pixis. It was a Pixis. And I had to sign out the narcotics and sign them and it was something weird well only one pharmacist could see and sign off what i pulled out of the pixis 
and there was another pharmacist there that never signed, never looked at it, never did anything. And so I thought it was weird because, you know, only one guy would go and sign this narcotics, and I could never ask the other pharmacist. Well, finally, I asked the, the pharmacist that was always signing what I pulled out of the Pixis, how come the other pharmacist who's working this shift doesn't sign it? What's going on? Well, it turns out that pharmacist had stolen narcotics, went to a drug uh, treatment rehab program, and the agreement was they could keep their license, but they could never touch narcotics again, which is somewhat of an oxymoron because how can you never touch narcotics as a pharmacist? There will be sometime, somewhere, you are set alone with narcotics unless you run a pharmacy that carries no narcotics. Um, There is always some some rare birds out there, but most of them have some kind of narcotic. So that was something interesting there. So so that's your background and how you saw theft and what you did about it. And so as a listener to the podcast of The Drug Lives, I'd like y'all to understand that I knew most of these examples and my father had told me about them while I was growing up and that I must do the right thing and that even if it's your classmates stealing, you have to do the right thing. So that was the foreground of my training in my family's uh, uh, profession where we both chose pharmacy. So from that, I would like to know, what do you think about what happened to me, uh, Dad, Clarence, in the hospital for reporting narcotic theft? You've been a pharmacist for 52 years. You've been a manager. I'd like to know your opinion on hospital narcotics theft. Well, I was amazed that the lack of uh, care and due diligence to protect the narcotics, one from being stolen by pharmacists, from doctors, from nurses, from destruction of the narcotics, proper procedures for that, making sure the patient gets the right amount, the right dosage, it was amazing to me. I could not believe in this day and age with the technology that you had that this would occur. When you brought this to me first, I was, I was stunned. But I did know a couple of things. One, you worked many, many years to get your pharmacy degree. Two, you should not do anything that violates the or risks your license. Of this 52 years I worked, I never had a... Uh, uh, mark on my license and I encourage you the same thing so you were in a situation when you discovered this uh, sloppiness and theft outright stealing of narcotics abuse of the destruction of narcotics and abuse of the patients you had to report it they had a procedure for you to go through a procedure was that you reported up the chain of command to your Pharmacist in charge who's responsible for the narcotics. Then if you didn't get results from that, you went up to the next level and keep working your way up until the results uh, was obtained. Well, you went through all those procedures. You went through it 17 times. Instead of solving the problem, finding out who was still on the drug, who was using the drug, who was mis- abusing the patients, they ignored that and fired you. So you were in a situation you couldn't win because you had to report it, and you were working at a hospital that didn't want it reported because they were making their money 
from selling the drug and whoever pays for it, the patient pays for it, Medicaid pays for it, whoever pays for it, they still get in their cut. And so they didn't want to stop the revenue stream. Well, no, and actually hospitals, you know, they say they want to decrease opiate use in the hospital, but that's not always true because here's what uh, most people do not understand. Your hospitals are scored on a lot of metrics, and one of those metrics are actually patient metrics and patient satisfaction scores. So guess what? Your patient is always more satisfied when they get more narco. Oh, yeah. So they incentivize the healthcare workers to be sloppy and to uh, steal on just based on the fraudulent billing part, but they also really want the patients to be happy and satisfied so their loose practice of narcotics in turn alerts the patients to the fact that they're sloppy and they keep coming back because they know that your hospital lets them get whatever drug they want. In fact, during my time there, I found out that hospitals are rated somehow on the dark web. Yes. And that patients that are drug seekers have ratings for hospitals and physicians on how likely they will prescribe you drugs. Yeah. And they have an open forum where they chat about it and they even tell you tips and tricks on how to present to the ER to get your drugs you want. And so knowing that, knowing that in the background of your mind and how this system, how can a hospital allow it? Well, like you said, they're making money whether the patient got the drug or not. So they allow the nurses to steal because the bottom line is they still make their bottom line, which is money. Right. Then the second thing is their patients are more likely to come back to their loosey-goosey hospital because they know, guess what? We get all the opiates at this hospital because they have no problem giving everyone opiates. So then you're in turn creating more incentive for these patients to come back because of your poor narcotic procedures. And you talked a lot about wasting and how you were very disappointed that the hospitals had such poor wasting practice. So I'd like to talk about that and see how you, in your retail experience, see the vast difference in retail wasting drugs versus hospital wasting drugs. For many years in retail, we could not destroy any narcotic that was outdated or broken or damaged. We had to call the DEA in. They had to examine the product and determine it was what it was and then and the amount it was and then write it off. Later, they developed a place you could ship it to and they took it, analyzed it, and then gave you credit for it so you could remove it from your inventory. But under no circumstances could we just toss out any narcotic when we felt like there's, we didn't need it or it was contaminated, it was outdated or spilled. We just couldn't do that. So that's the exact opposite of the hospitals. So not only do we sit there and watch what they actually administer to see if, you know, you pulled the whole vial of fentanyl, did you get the whole vial? We also do not commonly check that you wasted the part you didn't get. So unless the team is, uh, your hospital has a good team and they're honorable and your pharmacy director is honorable, they do not sit there and look to monitor your actual waste. And my favorite at the one where I was fired is, we would tell them how much they forgot to give. 
gifts, including them in on, oh, hey, by the way, you forgot to give 0.25 mils of fentanyl on patient John Smith. Can you go fix that? That's the stupidest thing. Why would you sit there and tell them you forgot on XYZ? Why do you think they're doing that? Well, they cook in the books, and so they make sure the books balance. I just know one thing. Of all the people I managed in those 11,000 employees of mine, and all the pharmacists and all the PICs, if I had a PIC that another pharmacist or a technician reported to them that the person was stealing, someone in a pharmacy was stealing a medication, and they did not act on that and did not investigate that, and if they found out that person was guilty, did not fire that person, I would have fired him. So you're... Your PIC at that hospital should have been fired for covering it up. And his boss should be fired. And the whole place should be shaken from top to bottom because it's a total corrupt system. And it's wrong. It's not doing the, the patients any good. And it's not doing what they should be done. It's and not it's protecting them. the health care workers, whether they be in it to harm the patient or whether they truly have an addiction the hospital is also enabling their addiction and harming that healthcare worker Absolutely. and if they're not an addict you know they could be in it for evil purposes and that is the other half it's a 50-50 yeah. but the other 50% if you look at the true nature of addiction the employee is actually in an abusive relationship with their employer because if their employer was an honorable employer they would seek help for their employee well the least they would have done if they found that they had a problem and realized they're an addict today most times they address it if you will check yourself into uh, addiction they will uh, give you a second rehab, chance yeah. rehab but uh, the least they would do that we would not ignore it and let them continue yep. to practice so what do you think about the hospitals managing the own rehab and addiction program for their employees oh I, I think it's it's like a, an alcoholic being in a bar or be a bartender. It's not, it's not conducive not for therapy. Conducive. No, it's right. not. Okay, so let's change a little bit of topic and let's talk about what we do in retail. So in retail, when you have a prescription for a narcotic, you have to go on the prescription monitoring program, PMP, and look up that script, correct? Well, we go on the PMP, verify the patient's name and address and so forth, verify the doctor, see when the last time they got it, if they filled it anywhere else, and what the morphine mill equivalents are, how many, how much they're taking. If it's over 90, we got to call the doctor, we got to fill out all these paperwork, we have to make sure the doctor's aware of it, we got to put them on Narcan or Naltrexone and have a script for that for an overdose treatment and we have to account for it, and we have to make sure the script is a little legitimate script. So, did you know that um, most hospitals do not use the PMP to take your word for narcotics when you come in? So, the hospital that fired me, I wanted to go on the PMP and check when the patient admitted to the ER and reported to me that they take Norco 10-325, one every four hours as needed for pain, I would go and look on PMP to look that up because I work retail too and know you, and um, that is actually not a standard of practice. So what do you think of that? 
Well, that's kind of like putting your head in the sand and ignoring the situation. If you have the data before you to protect them from giving drugs to people who don't need it or abusing it, you should use every tool you can to help them from the habit they got and also protect yourself and the uh, practitioners and the reason, giving it to the wrong people. And the reason why I think the hospital, again, didn't want to do that is, like I said uh, a little while ago, is that patient satisfaction score. Guess what? They love you because every time they leave you, you get a little seven-day supply of a Norco because you reported you were taking Norco. Yeah. Well, I do know that in retail, over the years, you sometimes have to say no to people who want your narcotics. And it's not a popular thing, and you're not, you don't win any popularity contest, and they, they're mad at you for doing it. But so if they were to give me evaluation after that, I would definitely not get a good evaluation, but that's okay. I'm, I'm doing what's best for them and what's best for, for the profession. Well, thank you for your time. Do you have any other questions or something you would like to say today? Well, I think pharmacy is a noble profession, and that if, if we all take it seriously and we do our part, we can help curb the uh, use, abuse, and stealing of narcotics. If we're very lax and casual about it, it's going to cause more problems. We're going to have more deaths, and uh, it's, it's just sad. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thanks for joining the Drug Lies podcast, and uh, Dad will be back again sometime soon.